The resurrection is the keystone that holds the arch of the gospel and the Christian faith in place. That's why all of the gospels record for us the resurrection of Jesus. But they all do it in a different way with a different emphasis. John's account is dominated by the account of Mary Magdalene. If you read the other gospel accounts, you'll notice that John makes no mention of the other two women that were with her. There's no mention of the angel that came down from heaven and rolled away the stone. There's no mention of the Roman guards. John hones in on what Mary saw and what Mary experienced. And even though Peter and John are involved here, they're only involved because Mary had alerted them to what had happened. And this should strike us because this Mary, this unimportant woman, this great sinner, was the first person to see the risen Christ. The first person that Jesus chose to show himself to was this woman. Now this emphasis is striking, especially considering the male-dominated society to which John was writing. And so it really begs the question, what What special contribution does this account make? What what is Mary's witness to the resurrected Christ here? What, What contribution does this make for us? The answer may well be that not only does her testimony confirm the historicity and the reality of the resurrection, but it also shows the unique and personal benefits for all those who embrace this same risen Christ. You see, this is a very personal encounter. It's a very intimate encounter. You see, her testimony reminds us that there are very personal implications of our salvation. This is a very intimate, a very personal encounter between Mary and Jesus. And what should get our attention here is the very gentle, very gracious, very personal encounter of Jesus meeting with Mary. Some years ago, I preached through the Gospel of John, and what, what really struck me And I can't remember what commentator pointed this out, but a lot of the people that Jesus interacts with in the Gospel of John remain nameless. Of course, we know Nicodemus, we know Mary, we know Joseph, but many people remain nameless. And one commentator pointed out that we are invited to see ourselves in these people. This was a real encounter with Mary, but it teaches us about our encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what Jesus accomplished in His death and resurrection 
has significance for the entire human race. But his dealings with Mary show us that the corporate nature of his atoning work in no way eclipses his personal relationship with you. And I think, you know, I've, I've ministered on both ends of the spectrum. I've ministered in the evangelical church. And the approach was always too individualistic. It's just me and Jesus. I really don't need the church. But maybe on the reform side of things, we, we've swung over to the other side uh, of the spectrum and we emphasize the corporate nature, rightly so. And yet that in no way eclipses the personal dimensions of your salvation. Jesus knows his sheep by name. He knows your needs to you. You are individual people. You are unique people. He knows your needs. He knows your struggles. And he will minister to you and speak to you. Now John focuses in on Mary. With Peter and John, their account serves to show us that the tomb was indeed empty. Mary's assumption was wrong. His body wasn't stolen. They saw those orderly grave clothes and they knew Jesus was alive. But it seems while Peter and John, beyond the assumption that someone stole the body, Mary is simply blinded by grief. It seems she wanted to show her devotion to Jesus one last time by anointing the body of Jesus with spices. She likely had seen the hastiness of the burial that was performed by Joseph and Nicodemus, and she wanted to go back and finish. She wanted to to show one final act of devotion to Jesus. But if Mary's experience here with the risen Christ teaches us something about ourselves and our relationship with Jesus, we need to begin by considering who she was. And there's an outline in your bulletin if you will find that helpful. Who was she? Here's the first human being to see the risen Jesus. This is whom Jesus chose to show himself to. Who was she? Well, in Luke 8, 2, we're told that Jesus was followed by some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Mark highlights this same thing. He says, now, when he had risen, early on the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Of these women that were healed by Jesus, Mary seemed to be the one in the worst possible condition. You may be aware that in the Bible, seven is a number of of completion. Here's this woman who had this sevenfold possession. 
she was completely and utterly overtaken by the powers of hell. She was in a terrible, helpless condition before Jesus came to her. And moreover, she was a very sinful, very immoral woman whose life was dominated by sexual sin. The name Mary Magdalene is significant. She was from Magdala. It was a little town on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, and Magdala was known for one thing. It had one main enterprise. It was the place where Roman soldiers went when they had their leave. It was a place of rest and recreation. It was the Las Vegas of Palestine. And here is Mary Magdalene. Mary from Magdala. If we would read that this was Lucy from Las Vegas or Amber from Atlantic City, we would know what that meant. Here is Mary Magdalene. She may have been the sinful woman who anointed Jesus' feet in Luke 7. Now this is absolutely remarkable when we think about it. This is the first person that the risen Christ chose to show himself to. A formerly demon-possessed, immoral nobody. She wasn't important. She had no reputation. In fact, she probably had a ruined reputation. And moreover, as a woman in this culture, her testimony was pretty worthless. A woman's testimony in court meant nothing. And this caused John Calvin to write sarcastically. He said, it is strange that a more competent witness could not be found. Now, he wasn't being disrespectful to Mary, but he was making a sarcastic jab at those who suggest that the gospel accounts were simply made up. If this was all an elaborate hoax by early Christians, Mary was the worst possible choice if this account was going to have any credence. An immoral woman, a woman whose testimony was inadmissible in court, a woman with a sordid past. I mean, really, you can't make this stuff up. And the only possible conclusion is that her testimony was true. She in no way expected to see the risen Christ. That was the last thing she expected to find. And the last person that any human being would choose to be the first witness in a made-up story would be her. But you see... This serves to demonstrate to us the incredible grace and mercy of Jesus. He loves sinners. He shows himself to sinners. Again, we need to see ourselves in this woman. Here's Mary. She she wasn't one of the twelve. 
She wasn't important. She was the worst of sinners. She was unimportant in the grand scheme of things. Friends, is this not us? Were we not like her under the grips of Satan and hell? Are we not kind of unimportant in the grand scheme of things? Will we not say of ourselves that we are the worst of sinners and yet here Jesus is pleased to save people like us, to draw near to us, to speak to us, to show us His tender mercies. Well, that's who she was. Now let's think about the faith that she had. Now we read this and we know that her faith is weak, it's uninformed. And yet what is very clear is that this woman loved Jesus. And she loved Jesus because he first loved her. And this can aptly describe us. Is our faith not weak? Is it not so often uninformed by what the Scriptures say, and yet we know that we are sinners and that we need Jesus and we love Him because He first loved us? Look at verse 11. And we really see how this woman is simply overwhelmed by grief. She is, as we would say, she's falling apart. Verse 11 says she stood outside the tomb weeping. The word actually means wailing or sobbing uncontrollably. And I think it's hard for us to really appreciate the grief and the pain that she felt. This woman knew the love and the care, the forgiveness of Jesus. This was the probably the only man ever to treat her with dignity and respect. He had changed her life. He had shown her true love. And she in turn loved him and followed him. And yet she just witnessed the crucifixion. From her eyes, she saw her Savior brutally murdered. This woman was exhausted with grief. And yet, what I want you to see here, that in the midst of this exhaustion and grief and confusion, there is still a simple desire to see Jesus. Even if it's just His body. She's blinded by grief, but what's her main concern? Jesus. Verse 2, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. Verse 13, they have taken away my Lord. This led Spurgeon to write, Love will look for Jesus and discover Him where none else find Him. Her main preoccupation is the Lord. My Lord, where is my Lord? 
And I think it says something about her faith that she doesn't even notice the angels. <laughs> Who doesn't notice angels? One who is preoccupied with the one who is infinitely greater than the angels. See, your faith is weak and it lacks understanding. But nevertheless, like true faith, it desires Christ above all else. And there's significance here in John's statement about Mary coming to the tomb while it was still dark. Some of you may be familiar with uh, John's light and darkness motif in his gospel and in his epistles. Um, he, he opened his gospel with a the- thesis statement saying that Jesus is the light of the world. He says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. see, Mary's journey of faith as the sun rose that day, what was it? It was one from darkness to light. One commentator put it this way, he said, John wants us to appreciate that she is being taken from the darkness of despair through the half-light of seeing God's fingerprint upon what happened to the absolute certainty that what she was seeing was not some horrible illusion. This is the very essence of conversion as the hope of the gospel lays hold of despairing souls of men. And again, we see our journey in this because the journey that brings us to saving faith is by definition from darkness to light. It's only the revelation of the risen Christ that can finally bring us to the true and lasting light. And again, do we see ourselves in this woman today? Our faith is weak. We so often struggle to understand the scriptures. We're so often overwhelmed by circumstances and and blinded and yet true faith is simply demonstrated by a desire to be where Jesus is your heart is Voss speaking of Mary wrote contact communion with Christ had become to her the vital breath of her spiritual life Friends, you may not understand everything. You may be in a situation that is completely overwhelming you. Your faith might be weak, but do you today recognize that contact, communion with Christ, is the vital breath to your spiritual life? That's what matters. It's the faith that she had. Now let's think about the voice that she heard on that day. Now it should strike us that 
Jesus doesn't rebuke her for her weak faith. He could have said, Hey, how many times did I tell you that I would rise from the grave? Were you not listening? He doesn't give any long explanations, but tenderly and graciously, briefly, yet very powerfully, reveals himself to her. Verse 16, he said to her, Mary. He calls her by her name, and it is that moment she knew that it was him, that he was alive. And again, as I pointed out already, he addresses her with that generic term woman, and she thinks it's the gardener, and she brushes him off. But he calls her by her name, and she knows exactly who it is. You see, it is a beautiful, intimate picture of the personal care of Christ for all of us. Jesus said in John 10 that he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep only to take it up again. And that he calls his sheep by name and his sheep hear his voice. And that's exactly what is happening here. That is exactly what happens every time a sinner comes to Jesus Christ. It's it's what happens every Lord's Day. Even though your pastor prepares a sermon to preach to all of you, Jesus is still calling each one of you by name, speaking to you. Now, there's something else here that doesn't really come out in the English, but it does so in, in the Greek, and it's, it's very tender and, and beautiful. Uh, up to this point in, in the Greek, Mary is called Mar- Maria. She's called Maria, but when Jesus calls her by name, he doesn't call her Maria, but he calls her Miriam. uses her full name, her given name, her family name. And I think that that is significant. He knows her through and through. And what is he doing? He's treating her with intimacy and with dignity. I think that's a comforting reminder to us we I think we so often we look at ourselves and we look at our lives and it's hard for us to imagine that we are dignified in the sight of the Lord and yet if you are in Christ Jesus he has given you a dignity and he treats you with dignity he calls you as one of his family members as his brothers and sisters Jesus called his sheep by name and she heard his voice. But finally, let's think about the profession that she made. 
Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now John gives us the, the Aramaic or the Hebrew there because it has special sort of untranslatable significance. He was calling Jesus my master, my teacher. And what we see here is, a, again, a very personal response to the very personal call of Jesus. And again, this is how every person who comes to embrace Christ responds to him. He sovereignly calls us in salvation out of darkness into light. And by His power and the power of His Spirit, we respond personally to Him. The amazing account here concludes, and it's found in Mary Jesus' explanation to Mary, and what he tells her to do. You'll notice how she, she's overjoyed because she thinks that things went back to the way they were before the awful events of the crucifixion. But Jesus indicates that the relationship had moved on from that point. It had actually progressed to something greater. Mary embraced Jesus. She was filled with joy that he had risen from the dead. But in verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. See, Jesus was indicating something greater was still to come. Something else was required to complete his mission. All that Jesus had accomplished had to end with his ascension into heaven and his enthronement in glory. It was only when he returned to the Father and his Father placed his seal on his Son's achievement could all the benefits of the atonement begin to flow to his people. And this is what Jesus taught his disciples in the upper room when he said, it is to my advantage or to to their advantage that I go away. By ascending into heaven and sending his Holy Spirit, Mary and every believer after her, including us, experience an even greater intimacy with Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit enables us to cling to Jesus in an even greater way. He is in us. We are in Him. When when Jesus was teaching His disciples in the upper room, He used that intimate language of union. We get to cling to Christ in an even greater way than Mary did. We are his brothers and his sisters adopted into his family. We have access to his throne in heaven. 
Jesus in the upper room called his disciples friends. But his resurrection brings an even closer relationship, even greater privileges. We as brothers and his sisters, joint heirs with him. And friends, this tender, gracious, merciful Jesus has not changed. That same Jesus enthroned in heaven is still showing you the same tenderness, the same mercy, the same care. Again, Gerhardus Voss, writing on this account, said, Nothing could better convince us that in his exalted state he retains for us the same tender sympathy, the same individual affection as he showed during the days of his flesh. Now, John, if you'll notice, verse 1 says this was all on the first day of the week. And that, that echoes throughout the rest of John's gospel. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week. One writer said for John, the chronological is theological. And I think there, again, is a reminder for us here, when when do we most clearly hear the tender voice of Jesus? When do we experience in a most intimate way His tender mercies, His assurances? It's still on the first day of the week. That's not to say he can't, doesn't speak to us during the week, but this is the day in which he most clearly reveals himself to us. This is the day where he promises us his gracious presence as we gather together in worship. This is the day primarily where we are built up in our faith and moved to worship and gratitude. Now, not only does Jesus explain this wonderful gospel truth to Mary, but isn't it amazing? He commissions her to make the first public announcement of it. Verses 17 and 18, Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that she had said th- he had said these things to her. And friends, such is the same dignity and privilege the Lord d- bestows upon all of us. That we get to go and make that announcement by how we live in the world, by what we say, that we get to go and make that announcement that Christ is risen, that He is the Savior of sinners, that He is eagerly to, eager to forgive and to deal tenderly and graciously with His people. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You.
We thank you for bringing us out of darkness into your glorious light. Lord, we thank you that you are so patient with us in our weak faith, in all of our sin. Lord, that you speak to us as individual sheep. We pray, O God, that we might hear your voice today. And Lord, we pray that we might respond with love, that we might respond personally to your personal call. Lord, that we might not count it a burden, but a great privilege and honor to go out and announce to the world that Christ is risen. And Lord, May we do so with boldness. Lord, may our lives reflect the glory and grace of this great Savior. We do pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen.